Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the Global Trade Tech Forum. My name is Greg Miller. I'm a senior editor with FreightWaves and American Shipper. Uh, and today I'm joined by Pravinder Johar, CEO of Bloom Global. Uh, Pravinder, welcome. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, glad to have you. Um, now, Bloom Global uh, provides uh, visibility on cargo. Uh, it provides uh, better decision-making capabilities on cargo movements, and it provides for better uh, cargo transport execution. Uh, and it's across all modes, uh, but today we're going to be focusing primarily on ocean. Uh, and what a year it's been for ocean. I mean, if you think about the disruptions to global trade uh, from COVID, um, you know, I'm really interested in hearing what you've heard from your customers. Uh, you know, I'm just a journalist here in New York. Your customers have been on the front lines uh, for all of this. Um, uh, and be but before we get to COVID, uh, Pravinder, I'm wondering if you could give me sort of a broad overview uh, of Bloom Global and the platform and, and what it provides. We actually launched um, Bloom Global in uh, 2018, so a little over two years back, two and a half years back. Uh, anything and everything we thought we were going to do as a platform this year has been a true test of how well the platform is working. Uh, if I take, if I can take you back to 2018, Greg, at that time, uh, the whole premise was that there is no one who had actually built a digital operating platform for global supply chains, which goes across all modes of transportation, and it's inherently focused on international intermodal logistics uh, and supply chain. So I remember talking to uh, kind of our board at that time, uh, telling them that it's not going to be simple to go build, and it's going to require a lot of capital. Actually, I asked for $100 million of R&D spend back in 18. Uh, we have spent about 60 plus million on R&D uh, so far, uh, still on our journey uh, to continue to invest on the platform. But over the last two years, uh, it's been a fairly successful global platform. Uh, we are now uh, have customers operating in over 130 countries. As you mentioned, it's focused on both uh, visibility and execution. And so it's a true operating platform uh, for all modes of transportation. We have over 10,000 uh, logistics service providers who are now connected to the platform uh, in, uh, in every country you can possibly uh, imagine uh, on, uh, on, on Asia side, on Europe, uh, in, in, in US. Uh, so it's been fun building this platform and then there's a big, big journey ahead of us. Yeah, and I can imagine what's going on this year is is a real stress test. It's almost like a it's almost like a trial by far, fire, and it really is an opportunity for you to prove the value of the platform. Um, yeah, so let's let's start talking about uh, COVID uh, and your customers. And I so, so sort of simplistically divide uh, the fallout into three stages or three phases. And phase one, I would say, would be uh, February, March, right after Chinese New Year. U.S. importers were expecting the Chinese New Year's break, but because of the outbreak in Wuhan, essentially, that break was a month longer than they had anticipated, uh, so their shipments were delayed. At the same time, there was refrigerated cargo that was being exported from the United States to China, 
Uh, and that got diverted elsewhere in Asia because all the reefer plugs at the Chinese terminals were filled up because the Chinese trucks couldn't bring them inland. So there was that disruption. At the same time, we had the air cargo disruption where uh, the passenger planes uh, were not able to uh, go into service. So we lost the belly capacity there. The air freight spot rates went up. A lot of that cargo went into premium ocean. And finally, we had containers strewn all over the world. We had this equipment issue where a lot of containers were weren't where they were not supposed to be. There were too many containers in one place, not enough containers in another. So that sets the stage for this phase one. What were your customers telling you about this aspect of the fallout, and how did your system help them cope with it? Actually, Greg, we started seeing it. I will take you a little bit further back in 2019. And if you remember, uh, COVID, uh, the changes have been unprecedented on, on what happened in Q1. But even last year, with the tariff issues and then uh, kind of the trade talks between U.S. and China and other countries, we were starting to see what I call kind of hurry up and wait type of an uh, uh, attitude kind of on the supply chain side. Because uh, the date for when the tariffs were going to get uh, go into effect kept on changing which meant that kind of we saw bigger ships, uh, people got more loaders, uh, but just because you get more loaders or a bigger ship, it doesn't really make kind of your um, uh, chassis or the drayage uh, capacity go up or the rail cargo, uh, how it moves. Uh, all of those needs to be synchronized and coordinated. So we were kind of practicing with our customers back in 2019 that how do you go handle this volatility in supply chains, especially for international uh, ocean cargo, and how do you become more agile and then and use a digital platform for it? And in Q1, it just accelerated. Even in Q1, I actually break it up into two parts, even there, uh, something before March 14th and after March 14th. See, till March 14th, it was mostly a China uh, kind of issue, as you described, that how do I go get kind of um, goods from China, uh, and then how do I go manage uh, the cargo, uh, which couldn't really land, or uh, shouldn't say land, couldn't really uh, dock uh, in China uh, at that time. But I remember 14 very well, right? So I was going to, I was in New York City meeting with one of our large kind of freight forwarder customers. Um, I think of them as the top five freight forwarders. We had lunch, we had discussion about, yes, kind of things are volatile, right? But still, are manageable kind of uh, from, from a digital perspective. But then came that weekend, and on March 17th, here in California, everyone was working from home. So the very first lesson out of it was that for our customers, see, we provide a digital platform for us as a company. Everyone was kind of up and running, similar to freight waves to some extent, kind of the next day, right? But for our customers who were truly using the digital platform they saw it kind of more of a business continuity issue, which is what I will call it on Q1. And on that side, it was that can we keep it up and running kind of on an ongoing basis and how do you go manage kind of those first few weeks? As you know, we do a fair amount of domestic rail intermodal logistics as well. And we saw kind of, again, you had essential goods and essential workers uh, so the demand kind of fluctuated a lot, both on the ocean side and on the uh, on the uh, uh, rail side, uh, which kind of go together in our mind, right? because half of what comes onto ocean is onto rail, or vice versa, vice versa in US. Uh, 
Uh, but from the platform perspective, and, and I think I remember our, one of our customers telling us, you know, actually it's a quote, I can't say the name of the customer, you know, but they said in this time of uncertainty, the only thing we can count on is kind of how Bloom has actually supported us and how kind of everything was seamless in terms of operating our, uh, our logistics platform uh, during, that, during that phase one. Well, you mentioned the shutdown, and that's sort of, in my mind, when I think of stage two or phase two, to me, it's roughly the, roughly the second quarter. Uh, and this was when we had the shutdown in the U.S., and, and U.S. importers started canceling their orders, pulling back on their orders. The container lines responded by blanking or canceling sailings. And so we had about 15 to 20 percent of the inbound sailings from Asia to the U.S. canceled in the second quarter. Uh, and we saw uh, as the at the end of the second quarter, what we saw was a different dynamic where U.S. demand actually exceeded uh, the vessel supply. It exceeded expectations. And so you, you started to see the cargo rolling. You started to see the extra loaders being added. You started to see the uh, sailings that were blanked being unblanked. So the theme in this sort of phase two to me was uh, really about the uncertainties of when U.S. importers could get their cargo in this changing situation. So during this period, what were your customers saying and how did they deal with that uncertainty of getting the cargo in when they needed it? I think um, so, so part of it, if you think of the phase two uh, age, you needed to know what sailings are going to get canceled and when. Uh, you knew they were coming. Right? So, so it was not kind of, it was known that they're coming, but you just didn't know which ones are going to get canceled. So one of the things we do as a platform is that we provide all sailing schedules uh, around the world, uh, including we have connectivity to other platforms where you know where every vessel is and how it is moving. And we use a lot of kind of machine learning and artificial intelligence to keep track of all of, uh, all of these things behind the scenes. Right? And then the impact, Greg, was not only on imports, it was equally on exports, though. As you know, these two things are interlinked, right? And then and exports are even more complicated, right? Because you have to worry about, um, especially if it is going on rail, a marine container on rail, the only person who can do a rail billing is actually a truck driver or a trucking company after they have picked up a full container. And then you have all these issues around ERD, and detention and damage charges, right? So they also start piling up here too. Uh, so, so it almost was that kind of from, from our customer perspective and platform perspective is that you are in an orchestra or symphony, right, where you're trying to coordinate and orchestrate all of these moving pieces which start off with knowing which sailing is a blank sailing, what's the impact kind of on an import, what's the impact on the export, what does it really mean for our export customers that kind of when should they be actually picking up or when should they be telling kind of a trucking company to pick up a full container uh, or even an empty container? Because you remember container detention becomes a big issue as well because uh, there's so many financial impact of this orchestration that we did kind of in that, um, in that phase too. The other thing that happened, Greg, was we actually saw uh, kind of from volumes perspective, we saw that the e-commerce activity picked up significantly even in Q2. Think of high-tech customers of ours, right? Now see, every company all of a sudden was two things. One was that they were a digital company because their employees couldn't come to work. 
which means things like laptops and high-tech equipment, the demand went up. And second, everyone was an e-commerce company. So you couldn't go to the store, you couldn't do regular buying, right? So all the warehouses in the U.S., all of a sudden, they had become, uh, they used to be kind of separate warehouses for many customers uh, for, uh, for e-commerce versus store. But all of a sudden, every warehouse was now an e-commerce kind of activity too. Uh, so you could predict it because we, we were looking at some of the forecasting algorithms and we were telling our customers that come June, July, you're actually going to see a different behavior right, than what you're seeing now. But all the early signs were there and the platform was actually able to give people, uh, customers, kind of an indication of what's to come. Uh, not everyone reacted on it, but, but we were able to see it and we were able to predict that something is going to change uh, in June, July, August time period. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, that brings us to sort of the phase three, which is what we're in, right in the smack in the middle of now, uh, which is the third quarter. And what happened here was demand was so high that all of the carriers put all of their capacity back in, and they even added more capacity. But despite all of that capacity being added, we have record rates, on, spot rates on the Trans-Pacific now, and we have some real problems with importers getting their goods in. And so the real theme here in this phase three is uh, there's a lot of congestion. There's a lot of issues at the terminals, uh, and we also have this sort of equi container equipment issue where containers are not where they're supposed to be, the same as we had in phase one. So this is the kind of uh, period of time where I would think uh, uh, a platform like yours would really provide some value added. So, you know, just walk us through what happened here and what's happening now. Yeah. Actually, there, I will break it up into a couple of different type of issues that, that popped up with this, um, this change in phase three. First was just the availability of the assets, right? both on the import side and export side, and assets would be chassis and containers, and kind of how do you get street visibility on where, where these assets are. So we as a platform, one of our focus is on this asset visibility and also enabling what we call street turns, meaning that how do you maximize the utilization of the assets and let people on the network, because we have both importers and exporters or the logistic freight forwarders uh, who do both import and export, how do you give them visibility, the street visibility to know where the assets are so that you can get get them uh, get them uh, when you need it and uh, and then this phase 3 has really shown that you can't rely on just the assets being at the rail terminals or container yards or the ocean terminals you have to think of every distribution center every manufacturing location as um, uh, as a asset uh, location and how do we go and optimize those those components the second part of it has been how do i go find capacity Especially on the ocean ridge, uh, the interesting part is that in the U.S., there are about 7,600 or so motor uh, carriers, uh, ridge companies. Only seven of them have more than $100 million in revenue. So there are a lot of capacity which is really tied up, and, and it's a very, very long tail. Right? So we talk about truckload, that there's a tail on that side, right? But this one looks like that majority of the ridge carriers are all on the tail side. Uh, when we do talk about there's only seven or so with more than 100 million in revenue, there's a lot of kind of those players. And when I talk about the logistic service providers, in U.S., we are connected to 5,100 of these gray motor carriers where they can receive work orders from us. They can do dynamic pricing. You can go find capacity. So our customers who were using the network 
were able to go find capacity, right, and, and this is almost a reverse of kind of what used to happen 20 years back, where people looked at it, I want only five motor carriers or 10 motor carriers. In U.S., you can't really do it for ocean rates, right, because there are not that many kind of companies which operate throughout the country on every port, every terminal. So how do you go and find that connection? So that's the second thing our customers saw, that, that you need to link link those two things up. And the third thing which has been related to is, again, the impact on exports as a result of kind of what's going on on the import side. And so we saw that the dwell time was increasing. Right? So, so people were keeping containers and chassis longer. So just because um, kind of more ships came in didn't really mean that warehouses could handle all of the capacity that you're trying to unload you know, those containers. Because uh, as you know, kind of labor is still in somewhat short supply because of COVID and the social distancing requirements and the throughput is still down you know, for, for, uh, for, for the warehouses to begin with. And for us as a platform, it has been, again, how do we tell you what's going on on your supply chain end-to-end? -end? Uh, if we talk U.S. in particular, kind of how do you know what's going on today? How do you predict what will happen tomorrow? And then how do you go and kind of uh, implement policies and procedures which allow you to automate the decision making. Uh, so there are many success stories kind of in, um, in this time period for our, uh, our customer base. Uh, but um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I don't want to take any customer names, right? So if you go, uh, it gets tricky to talk about a specific customer situation, but broadly, uh, the platform has actually helped many of them, uh, many of them operate successfully in this, um, in this time period. Yeah, it's been it's been such a crazy year, and uh, we still have a couple months left, so we'll see how things go. You know, I also wanted to talk about uh, the future in the sense of, you know, this has been a major shock to the system, and it's possible that it can convince some potential customers out there that maybe now is the time to invest in uh, visibility IT. There was a, a big study that was put out by McKinsey in August, looking at risks and resilience to the supply chain, and their their basic their case was basically that uh, you know these kind of shocks to the system are increasing; and they're going to continue to happen. So supply chains may have to become more regionalized. Uh, secondarily, people may have to uh, keep more inventory in stock, and thirdly, this may be the time uh, where uh, uh, some of the people that have held back from investing in this kind of technology will finally. Uh, see the error of their ways and realize that this isn't a cost and will go forward. Um, and at the same time, there's always these headwinds to this. There's people that think short-term and they think about the cost. So, you know, have you seen any change in the way that potential customers are looking at systems like yours? And if you think back to the kind of things that have stopped them from doing it in the past, do you think that Finally, uh, we may overcome some of these barriers. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I mean, I will give you a couple of different examples. The first part has been that we used to get these shocks kind of about once a year, a couple of times a year. Uh, so, so I've spent a lot of time in supply chain. Uh, I worked for a um, you know, probably one of the largest high-tech companies uh, at that time, kind of from uh, 09 to 14 or so. 
And we used to see these shocks kind of when we had kind of Japanese uh, earthquake. Uh, we had kind of the floods in Thailand. We had kind of on the air uh, volcano that erupted in um, in Europe back in 11, uh, 10, 11 uh, time period. So they used to happen once in a while and people just said that, okay, I can deal with it with manual processing, like air capacity. And air, no one cared about till the passenger belly kind of uh, were gone, right? So 42% drop in air capacity in Q2 meant that people said, oh, maybe I need to spend more time on air visibility, not just on ocean, uh, because before you took it for granted, if it's a flight from Shanghai to uh, San Francisco, if you miss one, there are four others, and your cargo will somehow make it on the other side. So the focus for the customers, and this is kind of some of the leading supply chains in the world, has been on what I call supply chain orchestration, right? which combines resiliency, meaning that can I absorb the shocks uh, with agility, meaning that can I be agile and resolve these exceptions on an ongoing basis, right? And then people are willing to invest in it more. Uh, talking about visibility, though, right? So, so this has been a little bit interesting. And so, as you, I think, uh, what was it? Um, the saying goes that uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. Right? So, so from that perspective, right? So, visibility became kind of a necessity thing to go do. But we at Bloom has a slightly different philosophy, correct? Right? So, we say that the visibility without execution. It's like going to a dentist, them telling you you have a cavity and telling you to go home. So if you do only a visibility platform, right? So, so it's almost is that you can know that you're going to be late, but the value is that you're not in that you're going to be late. How do I get back on time? Right? And a lot of the leading companies are now focused on with platform like ours, and which is why I call it an operating platform, not a visibility platform. That it kind of goes hand in hand. You want to see where things are, but you really want to make sure how do they get back on time. And I don't know if you saw this week the announcement from Walmart that OTIF is back and it needs to be 98%, right? So, so, so again, that's not focus on visibility. And it's back to focus on that on 98% of the time, you will be on time and full. Uh, hope, hope that gives you kind of a, a view of what our customers are doing with us uh, today. Yeah, I mean... On one hand, uh, the the crisis this year would seem like an, a very strong argument to to make these kind of changes, whether it be to re-examine your supply chain, or whether it be to you know change your inventory levels, or whether it be to implement some sort of technology like yours. But on the other hand, there are a lot of companies that are really just in the thick of it right now. I mean, this is a crisis mode. And they may be a bit on their heels, or they may be worried about uh, they may be worried about the money, obviously, and they may have uncertainty about what's going to happen in the fall or the winter. Um, so perhaps they're saying, "Well, maybe we understand the argument uh, that we should be investing in these kind of platforms, but maybe uh, now is not the time." Uh, do you think that's true, or do you think that do you think they're convinced, but they need to wait, or do you think do you see people, especially the larger companies? going forward and making that change now? I think um, some of the more progressive ones kind of are, are making those changes now, right? because it almost says that um, if you're in supply chain, your primary job is operations. And when you're in this type of an environment, kind of the primary job is that how do I go deal with today? But at the same time, I call it kind of not even 80-20, 90-10 rule, right? 
spend 90% of your time and energy on focusing on today, but at least use the 10% to talk about that, how to never get into this place again, right? And which is where kind of the companies which are thinking that way are spending it. As you know, we are a cloud platform. There are other cloud platforms. So we don't talk about heavy software investments these days or hardware and other things to buy. Too. So, so the word is a lot simpler in terms of trying platforms like Bloom now than it used to be kind of when I was um, you know, doing my software systems kind of 20 years back or 10 years back. Uh, but it again is that uh, that kind of I would my advice would be do 90-10, focus 90% to deal with today, but at least kind of focus 10% of your time and your energy and your money on that how to not get into this situation if it happens again. And we know that it's not going to be COVID, it would be something else, but some, some things are going to continue to change kind of in this volatile world. Yeah, something is always going to come up. And uh, well, this has been, so it's obviously a very important year uh, for logistics and for your company. And this has been very informative. Uh, as I say, uh, you know, as a journalist, it's important for, for us to be speaking to people that are on the, the front lines that are right in the middle of this business. And and you're one of those people. And I really appreciate you taking uh, the time to talk to us. And uh, once again, uh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.